0: Welcome to Dharma If You Dare. Today's recording comes from Doug Duncan and Catherine Poissarat's online course, The Pearl Without Price. In this talk, Doug and Catherine discuss the nature of the ego, and how we can step outside the box of our comfort zone to experience greater degrees of freedom, bliss, and peace. These ideas are explained in detail in their best-selling book, Wasteland to Pure Land, Reflections on the Path to Awakening. If you'd like to explore these ideas further, you can visit planetdharma.com slash Chapter to receive a free copy of the related chapter entitled Protecting Against Hurt is What Hurts. And now here's today's recording. So the
1: theme for tonight is if you want the present, you have to open the box. That's a sensei original. Never really thought of it that way. Can't get the present without opening the box.
2: Imagine being Santa Claus. It's the morning of Christmas day and you're Santa Claus is there and you've got all these presents and you just just them there. Silly.
1: Because the box doesn't open, right? Unless you open it. Okay, so what's the box? The box is, in this metaphor, the ego, right? We get this self-image. The self image is kind of a box. It sort of looks like this and acts like this and has these qualities. And then we kind of stick ourselves inside that box and refuse to leave ourselves. Now it might be a really amazing box.
2: Amazing box.
1: Glamorous.
2: Smart. The
1: box is extreme. Charming. Extreme sports box. Did
2: we mention intelligent?
1: We did now. But it's still a box. Canadian. And we're still stuck in it.
2: Female. That's a nice box. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We're kind of being funny, but
2: they're all boxes.
1: Yeah. Even, you know, punk rocker, just whatever we're identifying with, that's our box. Now, part of the issue is that advertisers are smart people. They take courses in psychology and stuff and they get, they get paid a lot of money to exploit our boxes or our belief in our own boxes. So our own box choices get played, get played against our own self-interest. So then I start thinking like, I need to feed my box. I need to feed my box with this particular outfit or this wardrobe or this lifestyle. This person. And so the self-image gets thicker and the box gets more like a jail. So the good news is that we're never actually stuck in the box. There's a way out, and there's a time-tested way out. I think it's been working for thousands of years, and it's readily available to all of us. And so we're going to talk about that way out. And that way out, in case it's not obvious, is spiritual unfoldment, spiritual practice, and ultimately spiritual awakening. Coming home. Coming home. Yeah, this is where we actually feel like, like Sensei's saying with the vision, we actually feel like, oh, my life has meaning, has substance. I don't need to be glamorous or sexy or intelligent or fill in the blank. I can not be those things, and I can still really enjoy my life and and feel like I have a rich life.
2: And I can put those on Um, and enjoy them,
1: right? And I can put them on and enjoy them.
2: I can do that. In fact, I can be anything I want to be. That's right. And I'm also very good at not being what I need to be.
1: Absolutely. And uh, there are these awesome byproducts like... Low stress, low blood pressure, good sleeping at night, bliss, wisdom, no loneliness,
2: end of loneliness.
1: Yeah, love, Love, joy, joy, humor. Those are the side effects. No worries. No contraindications. Mm No worries. Right? No worries.
2: No problems. Well, that seems pretty straightforward. All in favor of just going straight to bliss, clarity, insight, and wonderfulness and giving up worries, tensions, anxieties, and problems. So why don't we do that? Well, the research has shown that fear of loss is stronger than the expectation from gain. So the ego, uh, this is an ego construct. We we fear loss more than we value gain. We'd like the gain, but we really double the, the weight of loss for the relative gain. So they say that it takes $2 of gain to make a person risk $1 of loss. It's like a two-to-one ratio. So the fear of loss keeps us in our box. We're afraid to give up or afraid to move out of what is known and familiar for fear that we're going to not get anything. We're going to be left destitute and broken and just a pile of rubbish. And yet you realize if you look at your life, you realize you've done this countless number of times. You left Toronto, you left New Zealand, you left Chicago, you even left Japan. Something else happened. To ensure that our box is stable, we have some needs. These are Maslow's first four, belonging and security and food, clothing, shelter and medicine and self-esteem that comes from career. These are the box elements that the ego lives in to ensure its continuity and its safety and its security. These four needs. But as everybody's pointed out inevitably from the spiritual point of view, we don't live by bread alone. We don't live by esteem and clothing and shelter and medicine and belonging and shelter alone we have another need and that need is this need for what uh maslow calls self-realization self-actualization which we call awakening or spiritual realization so the other thing is the spiritual realization means coming out of the box means opening the box we're going to talk about that and that seems kind of scary so what we try to do is we try to substitute upgrades so if TV didn't work, I'll get a plasma TV. And if a house didn't work, I'll get a bigger house. And if a car didn't work, I'll get a bigger car. And if a boyfriend didn't work, I will get another boyfriend or two or three or four or five. If that doesn't work, maybe I get a few girlfriends, throw them in as well, right? So the upgrade motif, I'm always gonna improve it as a substitution or as a side step from opening that box. But this isn't simply determined by you in your life today. This is culturally and socially determined, right? So in the Dark Ages, for instance, people looked back to ancient Greece and ancient Rome for the highlight of civilization. They thought their time was a mess, So they looked back to Greece and Rome for the height of civilization. And then when the Renaissance came, everybody said, "Oh no, no, it's the future." So basically due to a very technical improvement in financial management called double-entry bookkeeping. Oh. Double-entry bookkeeping was the foundation of the economics that brought you Rembrandt and... Isn't that the Botticelli and...
1: Was it the Medici that invented that?
2: Yes,
1: yes, yes. Sorry, can I just, yeah. I didn't understand what you, what you meant when you first said that. So it meant that before double entry bookkeeping, just whatever got sent, just got sent. And nobody knew whether or not it arrived. Right? so people were, of course, pilfering all the way and just whatever arrived in the end arrived. And it's like, oh, why didn't very much money come back? So then they started checking on both ends. And then, of course, then security entered the picture, right?
2: So then from the Renaissance, we've been looking forward up until 1970-ish, somewhere in there, plus or minus, a few years. We've been looking forward. We've been looking forward. And now we're looking back again. We're looking back and saying, oh, the future is bleak. Look at the number of movies about dystopia or how many movies are about death and destruction and the end of the world and how terrible everything is. And listen to conversations you hear around you. How many people are talking about all the government or Trump or multinational corporations? So we're looking back to when things were better and brighter. So we're proposing we need an attitude shift. And we're proposing the attitude shift we need is one of the present waits for us if we can open the box. And that present that has being fostered by the current downturn is, again, the revitalization of the awakened spirit and the awakened mind, which is going to come to fruition in the future. Yay! Yay. Insofar as the Buddha said, all things are done for the sake of self, awakening is in your very best self-interest. Yes. There is nothing in your self-interest that is more valuable than awakening. And because it is blissful, it's spacious, it's clear, and is problem-free. It doesn't mean you don't have life problems. It just means you're free of being subject to the problem. That's right. So we're going to give you the problem that you're going to face with in terms of the security risk quotient is how comfortable are you with unknown?
1: Because spiritual awakening does involve a lot of stepping into the unknown, mm-hmm. right? It involves a lot of letting go of what we do know, right? We have to let go of our box in order to open it to get the present, which feels scary at the time. Yep. We're really pushing the limits of this metaphor, but I hope <laughs> you guys are staying with me. And
2: in fact, <laughs> if truth be told, you're always living in the unknown. No
1: matter
0: how much you think, you know,
2: you're living in the unknown.
1: Where do we get this courage to step into the unknown? Or where do you get that courage? If you think of times in your life when you took a risk that turned out to be very important for you, you know, just remember that moment. And what was it that made the difference?
2: This will involve overcoming some insecurities, our parents or conditioning or whatever you want to call it. So in a sense, it's not so much you're finding the courage to step into the unknown as you're finding the courage to recognize you are in the unknown, you are unknown, it is unknown. And what this is, is theater or dream or drama. You're in a stage play starring you.
1: You never noticed that dream and drama were so close yeah, to each other. Yeah, they are. Aren't they? I, I wonder if they're the same root. Exactly. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. I think the Greek word for theater means making seen that which is not seen. There
2: you go. That's exactly it.
1: Make you think that dream and drama. So the word are theater the itself means that. I believe so. In
2: Greek or Latin or something. One of, One of those
1: old languages.
2: So the ego is going to have some problems with this, like what? Rebellion.
1: Rebelling against which, exactly? Well,
2: against the unknown. The ego doesn't like the unknown.
1: That's right. Yeah, the ego spends a lot of energy trying to shore itself up in order to feel safe and secure in in what is essentially a nobody-really-knows-what's-going-to-happen-next kind of universe. But keeping that in mind, moment-to-moment, the ego experiences is stressful. And so it tries to figure out ways to know what is gonna happen from moment to moment or to guarantee that certain things will happen moment to moment, even though it's, it's a losing battle, right? Is that kind of self-evident that's a losing game? Okay, so just imagine all the energy that the ego expends on that, trying to make an unknown universe gamble worthy. Safe. Safe, thank you, that's the word. Okay, so um, some of the things that we do to ensure this is we cling to whatever our tribe is, maybe our family, maybe our relationships or our country, our culture. And even if we don't do that, if we rebel against that, even the rebellion has a big investment because we need the paradigm in order to rebel against the paradigm. So if our identity is about rebellion, we still need that paradigm we still have an investment in it. If that paradigm actually went away, we wouldn't have anything to rebel against and our identity would be gone.
2: They could make a movie out of that and call it Rebel Without a Cause.
1: <laughs> Good, we'd probably do really well. Mm. Now let's keep in mind that our greatest moments of happiness and bliss happen when we have some kind of contact with the unknown when we experience that preciousness of just that moment. So often that's a moment in nature or in a relationship or with a stranger sometimes where we just kind of realize like, this is very fleeting and this has never happened before and will never happen again. And there's something very beautiful about that.
2: So you can say that when you're in epiphany or you're in a high, you're having one of those really good days. Actually, if you look very closely at what you're doing, you're dwelling in the unknown mm-hmm. and you're just pinning it on what you're doing. So I'm driving the car to town. I, oh, it's a beautiful day driving my car to town. It's the beautiful drive to town. That's the, no, it's the fact that you're sitting in a state of relaxation into the unknown that makes the drive into town beautiful.
1: That's an right. important distinction. So we're gonna describe <clears throat> these two. We're gonna give a kind of verbal chart or table. So in one column, we've got the ego-oriented states and in another column, we've got radiant states. Ego-oriented states are by definition, not radiant. Even if you've got a fancy ego. (laughs) Nice try, right? (laughs) Okay, so so let's look at the qualities of an ego-oriented state. You're more than welcome to come up with your own, but some shorthand. So ego-oriented states tend to be grasping. Wanting things, needing things.
2: That means your desire is based on need.
1: Or perceived need.
2: Or perceived need.
1: Yeah. I, I met a guy at a party and he says, I need a leather jacket. <laughs> I mean, we all say stuff like that, but it was like, oh, right. define need. But that's a great example because another quality of an ego-oriented state is identification with a self-image. So if I identify with a self-image that wears leather, then I need a leather coat.
2: So if you didn't have that, how would you feel? You'd tension, I guess.
1: If I didn't have the leather coat yeah. and that was my identity, yeah, I'd feel kind of naked. Mm. Yeah, vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that leads to a feeling of vulnerability and insecurity, another quality of an ego-oriented state, and then this corresponding need for instant gratification. I've Got to go get my leather coat, and I want it soon.
2: Before I can afford it.
1: For example, yeah. And then another feature of ego-oriented states is we tend to feel lonely. The ego tends to get isolated. Can everybody relate to that a bit? When we're feeling most lonely and isolated is when we're most thinking about ourselves and our self-image.
2: So from that state, we'd, we'd probably run up finding a relationship anywhere we could.
1: Right, Re- relationship as kind of pacifier, like a baby. Like, uh, quick, give me a relationship so I feel better. It all seems
2: very insecure.
1: That's right. Yes. So let's move on, shall Shall we? we? Let's unfold from there and look at the radiant states.
2: Anybody for radiant states out there? No? Yeah, we've got a few votes for radiant.
1: Good. So some qualities of radiant states are calm, bliss, or joy, we could say. Internally quiet, so less internal dialogue, less internal chatter.
2: All that chatter.
1: That's peace and calm, clarity. Slower breathing, so we've actually got more oxygen and prana in our system. That's a good thing. And a feeling of unity.
2: Otherwise known as jhana, bliss, absorption, epiphany, a really good day.
1: So the amazing thing is we get to choose between these and we are choosing on a moment to moment basis. And that's the whole point of the spiritual path is just to build the muscles so that we're making better choices. We're building our discernment muscles. We're building our practice muscles. We're building our commitment, our refuge, our trust, all those things with our spiritual practice.
2: Would you say these radiant states are also touching the unknown.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they are.
2: So there's nothing known in this experience. It's whatever is happening now.
1: And now it's like that, right? Yeah. Okay. So there's so many side benefits. You know, they talk about lower blood pressure and lower stress and live longer and better relationships and stuff like that. And I always think like, yeah, and you, you you don't drop stuff as much. <laughs> like, I don't break as many things as I used to break. I don't know why that. I always think of that. There's a scene in Crouching Tiger, the Hidden dragon. dragon, where she kind of knocks the cup off the table and catches it. And I'm like, yeah, it's just like that. <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Good. Okay, so another, another uh, side benefit is we have so much energy freed up. And consciousness is freed up. So the present is now out of the box. And consciousness is freed up. And really, ultimately, with full awakening, consciousness is free to travel throughout time and throughout space.
2: In whatever form.
1: In whatever form. So, so that's truly movie. cosmic. Yeah, and, and I'll just leave that with everybody to enjoy pondering. This is about training, which is what we talked about more last week. So we have the vision. We need to decide that this is where we want to go, where we want to be spending more of our time. And then the training is developing the ability to do that because it isn't just like presto. We do have to learn skills and we have to discipline our, our mind and our emotions and our bodies to help us get there.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate and review Dharma If You Dare on Apple Podcasts to help more people find and benefit from these teachings. And don't forget to subscribe to get episodes and bonus content sent directly to your device. Today's episode covers ideas that Doug and Catherine explore in detail in their best-selling book, Wasteland to Pure Land. The first section of the book is entitled The Pearl Without Price and covers a variety of topics, including spiritual awakening in the modern age, the four deep ego fears, and freedom from trauma. Podcast listeners can download a free chapter from this section of the book by visiting planetdharma.com slash purelandchapter. See you next time and may all our efforts benefit all beings.